Um, Revelation 2, uh, verse 1 through 5. This is um, the first of seven letters that Jesus presents to um, churches. And uh, this is in the book of Revelation, and this is um, Jesus directly speaking to um, churches. These are real churches. These were real churches that were um, present during the time of this writing. This is a historical document, but it's also a spiritual message from Jesus Christ to the churches uh, in such a, such a crucial time. If you think uh, we are living in a difficult time right now, uh, you don't know nothing about difficult times until you go back to the time that this letter was written. Um, so Jesus starts off, and he has a special, special message for each one of these churches. And he starts off in verse 1, he says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now the angel is a poorly translated word. Uh, it really means messenger. Uh, what we would call the pastor, we would call the preacher, we would call the, the, the person that was sent by God to Ephesus to pastor that church. And now, it's interesting that God always starts off by speaking to the pastor, speaking to the head. And this is how, this is how God directs his messages. Um, he always speaks to the top. And so he always speaks um, to the kings of nations. If he has a message for the nation, he'll speak to the king. If he has a message for, for, for the country, he'll speak to the president. And so that's why we need to be, in spite of whatever you might have thought about the election, we need to be praying for whoever is elected because that's who God wants to speak to. God wants to speak to them. And it's not always a positive, encouraging, Caleb kind of message that Jesus brings. But he is speaking. He is speaking. I believe he is speaking uh, to kings and to presidents even now. He is speaking to, to senators and the congressmen. He has not gone silent over America. He hasn't forgotten about America. And he also uh, has not forgotten about this church here in Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the more uh, godless places in the world. Um, it was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time because of its magnificent temple uh, to its pagan, one of its many pagan gods. And so he's, he's, he's writing basically to the, the pastor of the church in Austin. Uh, write these things. These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. I don't have time to get into that, but he's basically drawing a metaphor between the seven pastors that he's writing to and stars that are in his hand. So first off, he's saying, I want you to know something about me, dear pastor at Ephesus. I want you to know that I am holding you in my hand. These things, says the one who holds the seven stars in his hand and who walks in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. Now, once again, the word lampstand is kind of confusing. It sounds like there are several uh, lampstands, but really the word there just means candle or lamp. And what he's talking about, uh, most scholars believe that he's talking about uh, what was the menorah. Uh, so I have a picture actually of a menorah just so you can get a, a visual idea. Uh, within the temple, within the Jewish temple, God had in, gave firm instructions that they were to create this, this, this huge lamp um, with seven uh, different candles on it. And so there's one, really there's one base, and uh, there's one that goes right through the center, and that is symbolic of Jesus Christ. And then there are three uh, branches, sort of, coming off on each side. Uh, so the, the three on each side equals six, which is the number of man. And so really this is a, a symbol of Christ and his church. Uh, this is a symbol, and it was, it was ordered to be placed in the holy place, uh, and the candles were to be burning at all times. Uh, it was important. It was the only light, actually, <laughs> within the holy place. And so it, it provided light for the priest and the high priest to do all of his priestly activities. And what Jesus is saying here, and you, you would miss it if you didn't know the Jewish structure of worship, Jesus is saying, I am the high priest, and I am walking, I am doing my work in the holy place. 
Uh, I'm doing my work, and, and, and the church is the lampstand. The church, these seven pastors, these se representing seven churches, are these seven flames, these seven uh, uh, candles that are burning and providing light for Jesus to be able to do his work. I think that's just an awesome, an awesome picture right there. He says, look, I am the one who holds the seven stars in my hand. I am also the one who is walking in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. And now in verse 2, he has some real words of affirmation. All of the words of affirmation people will love this, um, like my wife. He says, I know your works. Isn't it, isn't it comforting sometimes when God sees what other people don't see? When God sees what you do, even though nobody else sees what you do. When God sees every, every good, and this, these, these are good deeds, these are good works. He says, look, I know the good stuff you're doing behind the scenes that other people aren't recognizing. You're not getting a pat on the back for, you're not getting paid for. Uh, but I know, I know your works. I, you, you, don't, you, you don't have a good retirement plan with the job that you have, but I know what you're doing. Other people might not recognize, other people might not appreciate, but I know. Dear pastor at Ephesus, I know your works. I know your labor. That's, that's different than works. The works is, is, is the things that you are doing. The labor is, is, is how hard it is. God doesn't only know what you're doing for him and what you're doing behind the scenes, but he also knows what it costs you. He says, I know how hard it is. I know how difficult it is. I know how uphill this battle has been. I mean, you have planted a church in the city of Ephesus. This is not going to be easy. The enemy, Satan is not happy about this. Other Jews are not happy about this. The pagans, the Greeks are not happy about this. Because, because what you're, the gospel that you're bringing is not, is not just, hey, hey every, every, everybody, this is just a wonderful life. The gospel you're bringing is that Jesus Christ has come and he has created a brand new, new authentic way to get to God and he is the only way and so he says look look church I know your works I know when you go out and fall festival I know when you <laughs> I know when you serve the kids in kids club and triple degree weather uh, you know what I mean like I, I I know when you show up at 7:30 at Williams Elementary and set up pipe and drape and signs and all that I know your works and I, I see it and not only do I see the works, but I see the labor. I see what it costs you. I see how, how much it costs your family. I see how much it costs your, your, your own plans. And you had these plans and you set them aside. I see how much it costs you financially. I see how much it costs you emotionally. I see the weight of it. I know your works and your labor and your patience. <laughs> I know what you've been doing. I know how difficult it's been. And I know how long you have been doing it for. Jesus sees all of that. And this is so encouraging to me. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and they are not, and you have found them to be liars. Um, this, is, this is an affirmation. Jesus thinks this is good. <laughs> Jesus thinks it's good to test doctrine. Jesus thinks it's good to figure out if someone is really teaching the truth or not, if someone is leading people astray or not. Jesus says, this is good. I love your vigilance. Um, or as Pastor Robin one time frequently missaid mis uh, vigilance. Uh, he was preaching a sermon. He mixed up diligence and vigilance, and he just said vigilant. So be vigilant. Um, in verse 3, <laughs> and he was trying to get the crowd to say it. Come on, vigilant. I'm vigilant. And I was like, no, you're not vigilant. Nobody's vigilant. That's not even a word. 
Anyway, he finally figured it out after about 30 minutes. He's like, oh, that was it. Anyway, so next time you see Pastor Robin from Promised Land, just, uh, just, just, just let him know about that you are vigilant. And um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 3 says, I mean, he's got even more words of praise. He says, and you know what? You have also persevered. You have persevered and you have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weird. I want to be a part of this church. I don't know about you, but this is, sounds like an awesome church. Have not become weary. You're in the middle of this incredibly pagan society, and yet you have, you, have, you have kept the faith. You have labored. You have been faithful doing and doing and doing and doing, working hard. I mean, this, this, this church is on fire. This church is doing something right, and they haven't even become weary in well-doing. Verse 4, though, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. Now, the word nevertheless does not cancel out everything that he just said. Some people are so insecure that they, they think that, that when you insert that, it's like, oh, okay, none of that other stuff matters. No, that other stuff matters. Jesus thinks it matters. But I have one thing against you. Jesus doesn't just bring affirmation. He also brings instruction. And so if you're a true follower of Christ, you're going to love both. Because both are going to help you know what he wants. He says, nevertheless, I have this one thing against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So the title of my sermon today, um, and actually I, wanna, I want you guys to help me, um, help me with the title. So I want you to turn to somebody next to you or behind you um, and, and I want you to tell, I want you to tell them my title. Okay. Are you ready? So this, this is the title of the sermon. This is it. Okay. Just turn to somebody. Some of you aren't even turning. You're not even ready. You're not it's like, come on, man. Belichick wouldn't be okay with that. You got to get ready right now. Right. Just get up there. And, and Harbaugh is not too happy right now either. Um, all right. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, don't lose your fire. There you go. Okay. That's, that's the title of my message today. The church in Ephesus is in danger of losing their flame, of losing their fire. And it's amazing to me. You can be doing all the right things. You can be doing all the things for all the right reasons. You can be faithful. You can persevere. You cannot become weary. And yet, God says, I got this one thing against you. You've lost your first love, and you're about to lose your fire. And so I want to speak to you today about how to keep your fire, how to, how to maintain your passion. And in order to do that, I'm doing something I have never done. Um, babe, could you maybe help me just move this? I'm doing something. I don't want to try to hold the microphone. And, uh, I'm doing something I've never done. I'm going to preach with a little whiteboard. And um, I know this was real popular about 10 years ago. And like one pastor who was a great artist did it one time. That, that's great. Thank you. And uh, one pastor did it one time, and then every other pastor thought they should do it. And uh, even though they were terrible drawers, they still drew just ridiculously hard to understand things. So that's why I haven't done it, because I can't draw anything but, like, lines. I can do lines. So today I'm going to draw a bunch of lines for you, okay? So I'm going to preach with lines today. Uh, so you're going to have to use your imagination and, and, and all of that. Hopefully this, hopefully this board is big enough. Hopefully I draw big enough. Um, let me see here. Uh, first line that I would like to draw is something that goes, oh, about like that. Everybody see a line? All right. 
boom, look at that, I'm so artsy. Um, that line represents um, the beginning of City Chapel. And I started at the very bottom because that's where we started. Um, if, you're, if, if you're new today, you're going to get a history lesson on City Chapel. If you've been with us for a while, this is a good family meeting for me to explain some things. But the whole thing started with, with, with one person, that was me, uh, in my office at Promised Land San Marcos. I've been there for six years, on staff, really happy. And I was reading, I was fasting and praying for 21 days, and I was reading um, a really, really old newspaper clipping over 100 years ago from a man named Evan Roberts, who was talking about revival, talking about God moving in a city. And as I read that, the Lord spoke to me and said, he's talking about you, because he was not just talking about that day, he was talking about what was coming. And so as I read that, the Lord spoke to me and said, he's talking about you. He's talking about this generation. This generation is the stuff that he's talking about. And so I, 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 I closed up my, my, my little book and I began praying. And the Lord impressed on my, my heart that we needed to start a new church up here in Austin. And so I talked to my pastor at the time and said, do you think this is a good idea? Because if you don't, that's cool. And uh, he said, no, I do think this is what God's calling you to do. And so he said, I want you to wait a couple months. Don't tell anybody, just, just pray. And so it started off with just me. And then I quickly, later on that day, added my wife to it. And uh, I told her about it and she was on board with it. And we prayed about it. And then we went and talked to our kids. And so, um, so we doubled in size overnight when we talked to our kids. It was awesome. It was, it was just church growth was exploding. Um, but no, we really, and I, I'm serious about this. I, I, I tell church planters, talk to your kids about it. Like, get, let them help you make a decision because it's going to affect them. Because we were at Promise Line St. Marcus. They had, like, killer kids ministry. We were over it for a time. They have great kids ministry. And I'm telling my kids, guys, like, this is what we feel like God's maybe telling us to do. And we broke it down real simple. We feel like, and we told them, we feel like that there are people who don't have a church right now. And there are people who don't go to any church at all. And they don't even know about Jesus. And they live up in South Austin. And we feel like God's calling us to move from San Marcos up to South Austin and start a church for people who don't have a church. That's as simple as I could say it. And so I said, but it's going to be difficult because, you know, when we start a church, we're probably going to meet in like a school <laughs> and or a theater. And um, there's not going to be a lot of toys in the kids' room. Um, because we don't have any toys, and um, there's not going to be a lot of, you know, uh, exciting things to do. Uh, it's really, uh, you know, it's going to be a little more difficult, and we're not going to have a whole lot of toys. And that's what my, my, my daughter was five, and Micah was three, and so I knew that's what they're thinking. Are there going to be toys? Um, and so I said, there's not going to be much toys. And so I, I'll never forget Madden. This is bedtime, right? So we were telling them before bed, and um, Madden jumps out of her bed, and she goes over to her, one, one of her shelves, and she grabs a doll, and she says, and she says how about I give this to the new church so that kids will have toys. And I said, okay, well, I guess that's what we're doing. We are, that's exactly what we're doing in our personal lives. We're taking our salary. We're taking our, 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 um, our, our, our benefits, right? I had dental, which if you've seen my teeth, you know I need that. Uh, you know, and we, we are basically saying this is for people who don't have a church. We're giving our lives for people who don't have a church. And that's exactly what my daughter did. And I said, okay, so she gets it. Um, great, she's on board. So, so we doubled overnight, uh, and, then, and then Pastor Robin announced it uh, on a first Wednesday worship and said, hey, the Flemings are taking off. If you'd like to join them, you're free to join them. And so that night, Eddie and Priscilla came up to me afterward and said, we're going with you. 
And I was like, like out to eat or like, what are you talking about? No, 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 we're going with you to start the church. And I was like, you need to think about this. This is not going to be easy. Your family is at promised land. Like you need to, you probably need to stay at promised land. I mean, that's great, but like, go, go pray about it. They're like, no, 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 we've already, it's our done deal. And I said, well, meet with me. And so we met and heard their heart for kids. And so they've been our kids pastors ever since. Eddie and Priscilla are rocking out kids ministry right now. Well, you guys are in here. And, um, so, you know, we kind of tripled all of a sudden, uh, and then, and then, and then we, had, we had a small interest meeting where we talked to people about our vision, and um, Diana got on board, Diana can too, uh, Evie got on board, Evie's around here somewhere, uh, lots of people that, that you see around here, uh, Robert Marianne got on board, it was just awesome to see uh, people that had known us for quite a while say, yeah, we feel like God's calling us to go with you, and so we start, we start, we start kind of moving up, so this line uh, really represents lives. This represents about nine months of us meeting with people in coffee shops, meeting with people at lots of eating places, and um, sharing the vision that God's put on our heart. And just so many, and so, so these, this, is, this is a numerical line because we had about 50 people by the time we started our first public service. And yet, I don't want you to get confused. I don't want, I, I don't want you to think that, 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 that it's about some number that we're looking at a spreadsheet or a data sheet. Um, these are real people. These are real stories. Um, one, one such story, I didn't ask her if I sh could share it, so I'm not going to share her name. But she's still with us even now. But she found us on Craigslist because I was uh, desperate for people to join my church. And so I just put an ad on Craigslist uh, that if you can sing or dance or do like sound, if you can do anything, we need you. If you're breathing, living, and you can do something, we want you on our team. And so I, I just posted that for, for months in, in, in the Austin Craigslist. And so she, she had been feeling like um, she, that, that she had, had, had been away from God. And she had moved here from, from, I think it was East Texas. And the last thing she had, last job she had that was a good job was working in kids ministry. So she was searching for kids ministry jobs because the job that she had here was not a godly job. God had been convicting her that she needed to quit that way of life and walk away from that. And so she and, and so she met with us and she met with Ro and I at Starbucks and said, this is what God's telling me. And this is why I found you. You know, what do you think? And we're like, heck yeah. You know, we want people who are we, we believe God is calling you to walk away from that lifestyle and to step into a brand new lifestyle. And so we're going to be here with you to help you on that journey. Because when you're, because when you're, when you got nothing, you're a little bit, you're a little bit ready for anything that God sends your way. You know what I mean? Like, you're not like, oh, gee, do, is she wearing the right clothes? I don't know. I think her hair is a little off. What's her background like? Is she you know, a Presbyterian, Methodist? I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Like, like, those aren't the kinds of questions going through your head when you got nothing. Because there's something about, there's something about the beginning of something that there's so much passion involved, right? There's so much passion. Like, everybody that was on the team was passionate about the team, including me and Ro. And so passion doesn't really look at whether or not you know you, you you're dressed the part or you have the history no it's just like hey god sent you to us awesome we are going to put you to work and we're going to welcome you into the family because 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 when you have passion you get things moving it often takes passion it often takes fire it often takes drive to get things going you don't start anything without passion. You don't start a business without, without, without some desperation, without clawing your way somewhere. You don't, you don't, you don't start an online business. You don't start, you don't start anything without, without some drive to get going. 
And drive motivates you and drive pushes you. And Ro and I are staying up late, getting up early. I'm working two full-time jobs. We're, I mean, we're doing everything. We, we emptied our bank account. We emptied our 401k. We cashed in on it way early and said, we're just putting all our chips on the table for this thing that God's called us to do because it's worth it. And I, and I just imagine the church at Ephesus, the way the church at Ephesus would have started. I mean, you listen to the affirmations that Jesus gives. He says, look, I know your works. I know your labor. I know what you've been through. I know how long you've been going. I know how much you've been doing. Like you had passion, but the flame is like really, really, really weak right now. He said, you've left your first love. In other words, they used to have love. They used to have passion for what they did. They used to be on fire. They used to have drive. They used to get up early and stay up late. They used to sacrifice. They used to put all their chips in the middle of the table. And then slowly but surely, they started hedging their bets. And that's what life does. I mean, that's true in a marriage oftentimes. You look back at, man, when we were engaged, we had, we had so much passion. And now it's like, oh, you know, I don't know. You know, and it's so much with kids. I mean, you know, everybody's like thrilled to death when a baby is born. You know what I'm saying? They're like, they're like I, I, I remember when Madden was born, like we stayed, Ro and I stayed up all night just staring at her. You know, because she, was, she, was, she, she came out and there she is. She's, she's a real person. She's alive. Like, oh, my goodness, what just happened, you know? And, and she was born at about 9 o'clock p.m. She had been laboring all day. I had been laboring along with her all day. It's very, very difficult. And um, my shoulder was sore for, for like a week at least. It was, it was, it was, it was tough. Anyway, we did, we did a home birth, and so no medication. My wife is a beast. And uh, so, you know, the baby comes out. And she's not all groggy. She's not all drugged because she hasn't had all the stuff shot into the mother's body. And so, Matt, and so Madden's laying on Rose's belly, and, and I'm, I'm laying there next to her, and I, I just say her name. I say Madden, and she turns and looks at me, you know, reaches out and grabs my finger. Like, like it was just awesome, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing that could replicate that moment. And we're laying there, and it's, nine, it's 10 o'clock, it's 11 o'clock. The midwives go home. We're like, you're leaving? What? They're like, yeah, see? I was like, hey, no, we just you know, we don't know what we're doing. And so they leave. We, so we don't, we don't want to go to sleep because, I mean, you know, what's going to happen to the baby? And so we're laying there, you know, and you're like, you're like gazing into each other's eyes, gazing into her eyes. I remember the sun starts coming up. It's like six, six whenever the sun comes up around here. I don't really know. But, you know, it's, it's, it's sometime in the morning and the sun rises and we're like, well, I guess we need to go home. And so, you know, we, we have a car seat. First time parents, all the straps, you know, they're totally safe. And uh, I, I take Take off driving, you know, and it's and it's so funny. Uh, what's his face? Uh, there's there's a preacher, Judah Smith, who tells his story, but it's true. I mean, for every new parent, it's like it's like it's like I drove so slow. Like I've never driven that slow in my life. It took us like 30 minutes to get to the midwife center when she was giving birth. It took us like an hour and a half walking around. We've completely forgotten our middle names. We don't even know which way is, I mean, north, south. I don't know. Don't, difficult questions, man. I don't know. You know, and we're trying. And so that's kind of the way life goes. And then by the time Micah comes around, our second born, it's like, you know, we have them. We throw them in a car seat. All right, let's go. We got to get there. Come on. Let's just move. Let's get out of my way, people. Like, what's it? You know, you don't even think about that stuff anymore. I haven't stayed awake and watched them sleep. That's creepy. I am sleeping. I'm tired. I'm tired because they're keeping me up all day. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you know, like, but you start off with such passion. And that's the way City Chapel started off. And if you're here today and you're wondering how all this came to be, it's, it's, this, it's this group right here. 
this group right here, this small line, it wasn't a big line, only about 50 people at the end of the line. We spent nine months building up and connecting with and, and watching God restore about 50 people, and we were fired up about it. And so January 25th, we had our launch day. Let's just say that's January. January 25th, we had our launch day, January of 2015. Uh, we had our, our, our launch day, and that was just an incredible day. I mean, we, were, we went from 50 people to 250 people, which means we had 200 visitors. That's what, that's what that means. And, um, uh, you know, about 100 of them were from Promised Land, you know. Now, like the pastor, Pastor Robin was there, a whole bunch. There's probably about 70 people that were from my family flew down. Lots of people came in. And so we knew that that, 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 that number was not at all. Lots of people, these people had churches that we need to really pastor these people. We can't just have people come to a church and sit in a seat. They have to, they have to get closer to Jesus or we're not, or we're, we're wasting our time. And so this is, this, is, this is further, I mean, you have, you know, the, the start of passion, you have the point of passion, but then, but then there's, this, there's this movement uh, that, if, that, that, that if you start well, uh, even like the church in Ephesus, and then you add to that start works, you add labor to it, you add persistence to it, then you start to see the power of passion, that, that, that the passion, the drive that you had, it doesn't go away, it's there, it just changes the way that you are now using it. And so instead of staying up late and getting up early and me designing websites and stuff and meeting with people, now we were preparing for Sunday services. We were preparing sermon series. We were, we were leading the vision of the church. We were still meeting with people. We were organizing small groups. We're doing a lot of the things which are currently now in place. And that's what, that's, that's what Roe and I did. And we brought a small team around us that would meet loosely. I would, like, try to get them on their lunch hour because uh, they all have full-time jobs. And I'm like, I don't, and so I will meet with you. And so I met with them, met with them, and, and all, all that kind of thing, and, and working, I don't know, about 70 hours a week on the church. There's a lot of, of movement once you get to 95 people. And, by the way, 90% of churches in Austin are under 90 people. Um, it's very difficult to grow as a church more than 90 people on Sunday. I don't know what it is about it, but it's just there's there's just a barrier there. It's a hundred people barrier. If you're in church growth class, you hear all about it. Um, for us, we said, well, I don't know about a barrier. I don't know about all that stuff. I just know we need to pastor people. We need to. Create a family for people to join, not just a church to attend. And so we began doing that. We began. Ro and I began doing that, and it's almost it's, it, it almost becomes repetitive. It almost becomes, it's, it, it's almost like being on a roller coaster when, when, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever been on a roller coaster. I grew up at Cedar Point, uh, which is the best place in the world. It's up in Ohio. Uh, Dallas knows all about it. Uh, no, not the best. Yeah, well, it, it, it's, 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 it's rated, like, they, they, every two years they create a higher, faster roller coaster. They compete with this other place in Japan for the biggest, tallest ones, fastest ones in the world. And um, so I took Roe there, and uh, she was so scared. It was fun. But anyway, um, you know, you sit down on a roller coaster, and uh, this teenager tells you all the rules. Keep your hands and arms inside, blah, 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 blah. Pull this thing down, and then push, right? There's just this, the brakes release, and you just start sliding. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like the beginning of passion. It's the beginning of anything that you start. There's just starting momentum. It's like, yes, we're starting. And then if you add to that, original passion, if you add consistency and perseverance, you, you, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a roller coaster, you catch a little track, and you hear click, 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 and that's what it's like. That's what this next journey has been like for us. Uh, we've, we've been 
we've been, we've been moving along this line ever since March of 2015, right up until June of 2016, we were moving along this click, 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 click line. Um, we had, like I say, 95 people coming in March of 2015. We had an average of 180 people coming in June of 2016. And so it's almost double. It's just click, click, click. And, and, and once again, that line is not numbers. That line is people. That line is people like uh, Sherry, Sherry Polanco. Many of you don't even know Sherry. Sherry sat right over there. She started coming right where David is. She started coming when we started meeting here in the school. Uh, she found us. I think she lived near here. And um, I noticed her sitting over there one Sunday, went and said hello. And then she came back the next Sunday. And then she came back the next Sunday. And I said, all right, who are you? Uh, you know, you obviously like it here. I need to get to know you. And so she said, yeah, this church is just so awesome. I haven't had a church in so, I don't know how many years, just so long. I haven't had, the, I haven't had a church body. And I just love the messages here and the worship. And I feel so uh, welcome and all, the, all this wonderful stuff. And I said, well, let's meet you, you, me, and my wife. Let's talk about how you can fit into this body. And so I friended her on Facebook because that's what you do nowadays. That's called pastoring in 2016. Uh, so I friended her on Facebook. And then, like, she was just gone. So the next Sunday she wasn't there, and I, oh, okay. And then the next Sunday she wasn't there. And so after three Sundays, I, I, I messaged her on Facebook and said, Sherry, is, it, you know, is everything all right? Are you, you know, are, are you doing okay physically? Are you sick? I mean, you know, I just haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? And she said, oh, thank you for reaching out. It means so much to me. I love the church. I've just had this, this I think it was back pain. She had some kind of pain in her, in, in her body, and I've had this pain. I haven't been able hardly to get out of the house. I said, Sherry, when you know about this, we can pray for you. Like, tell us about that. So I said, okay, I'm praying for you. She says, okay, I got a surgery in two weeks. It's a minor surgery. I'll be back to church after that. And I said, okay, give me the date and the time. I'm going to be praying when your surgery happens. And so her surgery happened on a Thursday. I was praying, sent her a little message on Facebook, didn't hear anything back. Got a phone call on Saturday from a young, a, a young voice and says, is this, is this Harry Fleming with City Chapel? And I said, yes, yes, this is. And she said, I'm Sherry Polanco's daughter. And I said, oh, so nice to, you know, meet you. I've never met you in real person and in real life. And she said, well, I just want to let you know that Sherry passed away this morning. I said, what? Like, Sherry wasn't old. She was, like, in her, in her mid-50s or something. And I said, well, what are you talking about? She said, well, the, the operation, they thought it went good. There was, like, this complication that they didn't know about. And she woke up this morning, and she was gone. And I said, well, how did you know to call me? Like, how do you, who... She said, well, Sherry talked about you all so much and how uh, City Chapel had impacted her life, and she finally found a church home. And uh, her funeral was going to be way up north, northwest Texas. Um, and uh, I said, well, you know, um, so I began talking to her. I'm so sorry and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I hung up the phone, and I was like, this, this, this growth that we're talking about, it's not just numbers of people who come sit in a seat. These are people that God trusts us with because he thinks we will show them grace. He believes we will accept them where they're at, believe in them enough to love them to a better place from where they were. And it's just like I told Madden when it was just two of us. We're making a church for people who don't have a church so that people who don't have a church can have a church. Because there are a lot of great churches in Austin, but there, there needs to be a really, really weird one that does like mannequin challenges and, and things like that. Like it just needs to be a weirder, like, you know, it's just like God's like, there's a lot of pastors, but there's not a Harry Fleming. So I need a Harry Fleming. And it's not that I'm any better than anything else. What we're doing is important. 
you say, I'm just a visitor. Well, welcome to the family. What you're doing now with us is important. Uh, I want you to know that, that, this, that this doesn't happen, though, overnight. It doesn't happen without, without cost. And Jesus knows my labor. And that's cool. I'm good with that. Jesus knows the cost. And Jesus has more than made up for everything I've paid. <laughs> uh, just simply that phone call with Sherry is more than enough. It's worth it. I'm like, you know what? If that's all we ever do, it's worth it. Because people are worth it. And so uh, we, 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 we have this, this line, and uh, we were, we're growing, and passion is moving. Um, but then in June, um, I started counseling with a pastor over in um, Florida. There's a large church over in Florida, and he planted a church in his living room, kind of like us. And um, he talked about a time in which the church just grew bigger than he could handle by himself. And he really had to start trusting other leaders with things. And so he brought in people, trusted them with things, and they did well. But he said, you need to watch, you need to be careful. Like, this is what you need to do. And that's why I connected with him because I said, I, I, I can't, like 180 people, I look out, I don't know half of them. And that's not really a bad thing. The bad thing is nobody knows half of them. <laughs> that's a bad thing. They're not a part of a family. They're just attending a service because they like preaching. That's not good. And so I reached out to him and I said, how do we, how do we pastor these people? How do we get them closer to Jesus in real life? And he said, well, you're going to have to not do everything. You're going to have to <laughs> let other people do stuff. And so that's what we started doing. Now, we had a team helping us, but we, we further empowered them. JT taking off with, like, parking lot ministries and, and ushering and all that kind of thing. Uh, Alma helping us with our schedule because um, we were going crazy with counseling, and, and we were forgetting people because we were saying, yeah, we'll meet with you. And then it's like we had 10 other people. And so Alma helped us organize that. So we just started allowing other people. And he said, he, and the, the, my pastor friend said, this is what's going to happen is, uh, and this happens in businesses as well. Whenever there's a shift like that in leadership, there's always a little, there's always a little drop. And uh, this is not your typical Sunday morning sermon, but I just, I just feel like, I feel like I need to just let you know that since June, there has been a a drop in attendance. There's been a drop in enthusiasm for some people. And I want to let you know, number one, I was encouraged to know that that's normal. It's normal because, uh, well, that's what roller coasters do, right? Click, 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 click. <laughs> Personally, on a roller coaster, the drop is a lot of fun. Um, and really, I don't mind the drop like in attendance. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me, though, is that this drop is not just numbers. It's people. And so people's marriages and even our country, like even this, even this week, like I feel like we just hit a new low of, of, of fear that I haven't, I haven't been around. Uh, the day after the election, I met with several pastors here in Austin and we were all just like, how do we encourage our people? How do we do what we're called to do when there's such a presence of fear, such division? such divisiveness, such lack of trust in anybody. And so, and so you, you, can, you can sense that, and, and, and it affects people. It affects marriages. It affects uh, people's uh, commitment to sexual purity. It affects their life. This is life stories here. And so as a pastor, I've been seeing just a lack of momentum. And I'm sharing that with you because I'm very honest, and I'll always be honest with you. And I feel like it's very normal. And the pastor in Florida said, there's two things you can do. One, uh, what a lot of people do is they go back. Um, 
leadership pastors look at their wives and say, you know what, we were doing great before. We're just going to do what we were doing before. You take away stuff from, from these other leaders and they just go. And um, he said, though, that creates a problem because you go back and then you grow again and then you have to change and then you drop and then you get afraid and you go back. Here's the thing. With, with, with church, city chapel, um, but also with your own life, what you do in the drop matters. What you do in, in the drop. When, you start, when, when, when the church in Ephesus started losing their passion, Jesus spoke to them and said, hey, I'm telling you, you need to get your passion back. Your first love, you need to get that back. Because you're about, you're, I'm about to take your flame completely out. And it's not a, Jesus isn't judging them. He's helping them because what you do here matters. And you have one of two options. You can either go back. You can go back to the way things were. You can go back to the way your marriage was. We go, oh, when, when we didn't bring that stuff up, we didn't have these kinds of arguments, so we're just not going to bring. You can go back to where you were because it's comfortable, and that's so tempting. And it must have been so tempting for the church in Ephesus to say, you know what? We know how to do this, church. We, 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 Jesus knows our works. He knows our labor. We don't need passion. We'll just keep doing the right thing without the heart for it because we know how to do that. So we'll just go back. We'll just keep going back, and we'll just keep doing it. The problem is you get in, stuck in this cycle of life that you start making changes, and then you hit confrontation, and you have a drop of momentum. You have a drop of passion. You have a drop of emotion. And so you, 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 you interpret that as, oh, my goodness, something's wrong. And so you go back to the way that you were. And then God brings you. Three years later, he brings you right up to that same point. You start making changes in your life. And then you start dropping in your emotion again. And you say, something's wrong. And you go back. And you live in a cycle. You never break the cycle. You never change. You never grow. You live in this constant circle. And I see this in people's lives, but I also see it in churches. A lot of churches stay the same size for 20 years, not because they're not doing stuff, but because every time there's a loss of emotion, they say, hey, whoa, something's wrong. We got to go back. And, and, and I, 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 I am afraid that oftentimes we interpret emotion as passion. But passion is not how you feel. Passion is not emotion. Passion is not when you see a girl and butterflies come up in your stomach. <laughs> that's attraction, and that's a worthless. Passion is when, is when Nick is pushing Carol in a wheelchair. Passion is not just I'm here for you as long as you're sexy. Passion is I'm here for you forever. I'm not just here for you in your best years. I'm here for you throughout your life. I'm going to die with you. Passion is commitment. Passion is stick your foot in the ground and planting your stake, and this is my spot. I'm not leaving. This is mine. Passion is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, not my will, but your will be done. It's not emotion. He's not feeling like, woo, let's go die on the cross. No, passion is, is a commitment to what you decided up here. What you, what you decided, what the decisions you made in the light, passion says you keep those same commitments in the dark. Passion says that what you saw in the light is still true in the dark. What, you, what God showed you in the hilltop is still true in the valley because the God that you were passionate about when everything felt right is the same God that is with you when things do not feel right. It's not about feelings. Everybody's waiting to get inspired. Stop waiting to get inspired. 
you're not going to get inspired to do the right thing. The world's not going to come alongside you and just, 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 oh, okay, yes, I just need to follow Jesus. No, that's not what's going to happen. The way you got here is through consistent, consistent perseverance of doing what you knew to do. And when you hit opposition, you can go back. But you're just going to have to walk that same road all over again. A guy in uh, Florida told me, he said, you really, you want to go uh, up and to the right. <laughs> you really want to go up and to the right. And up and to the right, uh, for me, I have a personal goal of seeing 250 people worshiping here every Sunday. Uh, that's my personal goal. But I don't, it won't be worth it if it's just 200, because we've had 250 people here several times. It won't be worth it if they just kind of sit in seats and they're not coming into a family. And so, you know, we could give away a car next Sunday, and we would hit 250 people here on church. Woohoo! And we, you know, we could do little tricks, little gimmicks. But I don't, I don't, I don't want to trick people into like sitting in the seat. I want to see people's lives. I want to see people's lives go up. I want to see their, I want to see their commitment go up. I want to see their diligence go up, their purity go up, their faithfulness go up, their joy go up. And so the way to do that, uh, for us, there are five things as a leadership team that we've decided that are a part of our journey this way. And so as a leadership team, we're meeting every Monday and um, still taking on the same decisions we made up here. And um, by the way, if you're wondering about numbers in drop, this is about 180 people and this is about 130 people, which is our lowest Sunday four weeks ago, lowest Sunday of the year. Um, but for us, I'm not, I'm not concerned about it. It's the people that I'm concerned about. And... And for us, there are five things that we feel like God has identified for us as the path forward. And I want to share those with you because this is kind of what God's calling us to do as leaders and to be. Um, and really, it's the same thing. It's interesting. The same thing, just in a different place. So, so if you're wondering how to respond to a Trump presidency, it's the same thing, just in a different place. The church's mission is the same. We are still for the marginalized. We, our platform is still love. The church's, the church's platform is the exact same, just in a different environment. And so you do the same thing in a different place. Same thing with marriage. If you're wondering how to get your marriage out from down here, well, you do the same thing you did back here, just now in a different place. There's more water under the bridge, absolutely, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to have a bridge. <laughs> you do the same thing in a different place. And so the same thing, uh, our, our leadership has identified some of the things that, that Roe and I were doing um, that was very helpful and powerful. And so I want to share this with the whole church because I want, one, to challenge you to start incorporating these things in your life. And two, I want you to hold us accountable as a leadership team. This is who we are. So um, I have some slides here to show you. Uh, we have uh, five things, and I'll, I'll run through these quickly. These are just things that we wrote down uh, as a team and uh, we, 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 uh, in a document. Um, number one we will rinse our cottage cheese <laughs> versus being lazy. Uh, you might wonder what that's about, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's from a book called um, Good to Great. The analogy comes from a disciplined world-class athlete named Dave Scott. Dave Scott won the Hawaii Ironman triathlon six times. So he knows a little bit about um, exercise. In training, Scott would ride his bike 75 miles, swim 20,000 meters, and run 17 miles on average every single day. But Dave Scott... Uh, did all of that, obviously didn't have a weight problem, 
however, he believed that a low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet would give him an extra edge. I mean, he was burning 5,000 calories a day. But he became fanatical about this no-fat thing. And so uh, what he would do is he would actually rinse his cottage cheese in case there was any extra fat on it. <laughs> now, does Dave Scott need to rinse his cottage cheese in order to win the, 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 the triathlon? Probably not. Uh, he doesn't have a weight problem. He's not doing it because he needs to. He's doing it because he believes it'll give him one extra edge. And so Dave Scott has become for us sort of a picture of what it means uh, to really follow Jesus. That you don't look for the bare minimum. You don't look for, well, what can I get away with? You say, what can I do to help me get a better edge on this? Uh, and this, this, these are, these are the, the statement that we wrote. We will be described as fanatical, disciplined, rigorous, dogged, determined, diligent, precise, fastidious, systematic, methodical, workmanlike, demanding, consistent, focused, accountable, persistent, and responsible. In other words, what we, uh, that we would do whatever it takes to do exactly what we said we'll do, how we said we'll do it, and when we said that we will do it. And that consistency uh, breeds trust. Consistency brings, breeds confidence in your life. And so if you're lacking confidence, if you're lacking passion, try rinsing your cottage cheese. <laughs> I mean, look at areas of your life that you're like, oh, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, but hold up. <laughs> Rinse your cottage cheese. In other words, be, be disciplined about things that you think don't really matter. And this is true even, I keep talking about marriages, but... Um, I know, I know even with my kids, um, I, I woke up this week, I, I woke up late because time change threw me off, and I forgot to set my alarm, so I, w I woke up to my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter, coming to my room, we, we, we homeschool them, and she says, Dad, 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 can you help me with my math? Right, so, so this is 8.30 or 9, this is late. I look at the clock, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to get going, and she's wanting me to help with math. I am horrible at math. Um, especially, I haven't had coffee. I can't do math. <laughs> what are you talking about? She's doing fractions and all this stuff. I'm like, what? Without coffee, I can't do any of this. I mean, you know, she's like, hey, Dad, can you, can you, can you help me? Uh, Mom was out doing something with the horses. And I said, okay, so bring your stuff in. And so I sat there for 45 minutes, helped her with the math um, paper and um, tried to explain to her how to get to this and all this kind of thing. It probably jacked her up for life. Um, that's why we let Roe do the teaching. And so I said, okay, so that's cool. Um, uh, you know, I, I really got to get going. It's nearly 10 o'clock. Dad's got to go. Okay, I love you. Bye. And so I'm walking out. Uh, I'm walking out to the car. She comes running out of the house. She says, Daddy, Daddy. And she, she's like, what? And so she just gives me a hug and kisses me and tells me that she loves me. And I, I, I get into the car and I think to myself, I'm like, that's for the 45 minutes. <laughs> like that's the payment for the 45 minutes is a daughter who really values quality time and who just wants to let me know that she loves me. That's a payment for 45 minutes, and that's cool. That's cool, 45 minutes for a kiss, and a, I, I love you. It's kind of worth it, but really what she doesn't know is that I'm not looking for a kiss and I love you. I'm, I'm building something here. I'm building a relationship so that when I speak into her life, I have authority in her life because she knows that I'm invested in her. And so I'm, 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 I'm rinsing my cottage cheese. I don't have to do math with her, but I'm hedging my bets. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to help her with math occasionally. You know what I'm saying? So there are areas in our lives that we, 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 we try to keep at a bare minimum. We try to see how much fat we can ingest and not get overweight. But this is not the way to, 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 to move your life in this direction. 
You gotta start rinsing your cottage cheese. You gotta start cutting out stuff that maybe you think doesn't even matter because little stuff is important. Peyton Manning said the little stuff is the big stuff. And if Peyton Manning said it, I believe it. <laughs> go on to number two, go on to number two. We rinse our cottage cheese. Secondly, we smell like sheep uh, versus being judgmental. We invest time, energy, and money in people because we believe that people are worth it. We know the state of our flocks, that's you all. We, we know where you're at because we're talking to you. We are always working to move them to greener pasture, and we celebrate each step. We are neither judgmental nor apathetic. We constantly communicate grace and truth. And so if you want to move the dial in your life, I would suggest smelling more like people, hanging out with people, getting to know people. That's sheep. That's the biblical definition for people. Anyway, uh, go on to number three. Uh, we... Walk with Jesus versus being hypocritical. We live with honesty and transparency. We are self-feeders. In other words, we read our Bible for ourselves. We seek God for ourselves. We are currently being transformed by our own relationship with Jesus. In other words, we're not perfect, but we are walking forward. We actively dethrone everything in our lives but Christ so that we can have the authority to challenge others to do the same. We repent often, and we love the truth. We repent often. And we love the church, the, the, the truth. We love truth, even if it conflicts with what, we, with what we're doing. Even slaps us in the face. We're like, okay, thank you for that. <laughs> Versus being hypocritical. Because if you call on people, if you tell people, you ought to be doing this, but you're not living the life that God's called you to live, you're not being transformed by your walk with Jesus, you don't have any stories about how God's convicting you of sin, I'm sorry, you're not looking at yourself. We need to be self-honest. We need to look inside and say, I'm not perfect. I'm working on stuff. Because you're always going to be working on stuff. And so we're going to repent often, and we're going to love the truth. Number four, uh, we are teachable. This is probably one of the most important things versus being opinionated. Everybody's got an opinion. There's nothing wrong with opinions. But the question is, are you teachable? The, the definition of teachable is, I am able to learn something that I think I already know. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We are always learning. We allow others to speak into our lives. We are quick to submit to authority and even to each other. We are unoffendable. We seek out opportunities to become more productive leaders, and so we ask the right questions, seeking personally applicable answers, not trying to get buy-in from people or to satisfy curiosity. Instead, we look in the mirror whenever we're giving criticism, and we look out the window whenever we're giving credit. So if you want to move the dial in your life, look out the mirror, or look out the window whenever you're giving credit. Just tell other people how awesome they are. Just speak life into them. Bless them. And look in the mirror whenever you're feeling critical. <laughs> Examine yourself. Say, no, I need to change that. I need to change that. That'll help move the dial in your life. And number five, lastly, we possess enduring joy versus being moody. <laughs> we have fun. We smile a lot. We intentionally set the positive tone of our church by communicating the joy of the Lord. You are setting the tone of your family. You are setting the tone of your workplace. You are setting the tone of your school system. You are setting the tone of this country. And if it's depressed, if it's down, if it's discouraged, you are called to bring joy. You are called to bring hope. You are called to bring peace. You are called to bring unity. Stop telling people to get unified and just bring unity yourself. We find the life-giving way to see and to say everything. And because of this, healthy people are drawn to us. Blessings come out of our mouths, not curses. We never despair, and we never count God out. 
We never count God out of a situation. We never think somebody's gone too far. We never say God can't deal with that or work with that or use that. No, God can use every tragedy that you walk through. God can take everything in your life and turn it around for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Never count God out. And the reason why I know City Chapel is going up here and the reason why I know you personally can go up here is because I've never counted God out. Because God can do the impossible. God can do miracles. God can, God can raise up nations from the edge of destruction. God can raise up churches. And I want to point out to you just before we go, that scholars know who the pastor was at the church of Ephesus. The book of Revelation, chapter 2. Scholars know who that pastor was at that time in history. It was a guy you've probably heard about named Timothy. Timothy was uh, uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Those books are written to him. Paul trained him up, planted a church in Ephesus, left Timothy there. Which brings me back to the scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. In his letter... Paul says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, I urged you, notice his language, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. It's interesting to me that Paul in his letter to the pastor at Ephesus had to urge him to stay there. <laughs> you don't urge people to stay places that they want to stay. I've never had anybody urge me to eat pizza. You know what I'm saying? Like, please eat the pizza, Harry. Seriously, eat it. Just eat it. Just eat it. Just eat it. Have you eaten your pizza yet? No. I want to eat pizza. I've never met a pizza I didn't like. I like pizza. This would imply that Timothy did not want to stay in Ephesus. This would imply that Timothy said, I'd rather be somewhere else. And Paul said, I want you to stay. And this is the great trick of life. Can you stay where God's called you to stay without losing the fire that you had when you got there? Can you stay in the relationship? Can you stay in the commitment? Can you stay in the job? Can you stay in the country? <laughs> Can you stay in the church? Can you stay where God has called you to stay without losing the passion that you had? That's the great trick of life, to be able to stay and maintain that flame because God wants that fire to be there persistently if you feel it going dim, I would challenge you to the five things. I would challenge you to do the first works over again, to go back, do the same thing you did here, but only do it in this new place. And God can show you how. Would you bow your heads with me? And I would like to end in prayer and just offer up. Number one, if you have not received Jesus into your life, or if you have and you